turn in our Bibles to James chapter 1 as we come to the second part of our slow fade series. Last week we looked at the subject of often in church and in Christian circles, big sins scare us. Big sins like what we would call big sins, quote unquote, murder, adultery, kidnapping, Getting out of church past noon, you know, big things like that often scare us. But the message that we're going to look at today is a topic called gospel inoculation. That it is possible to be around the good stuff. And by that I do not mean Franklin County's finest found in a mason jar. I mean the Word of God. True Christianity, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He came to live in this world and He lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and has been raised from the dead after three days offering forgiveness and life to all who would believe and put their faith in Him. The Gospel, that it is possible for us to be around the good stuff but yet miss the whole point. It is possible to be gospel inoculated. You may say, Jeff, well, what do we mean by inoculation? Well, it's, it's a medical term that you can induce a substance into the body and you can grow immune to that substance over time if you let it in bit by bit by bit. If you've ever seen the classic movie Princess Bride, you know the devious little tyrant there had uh, built up an immunity to something that would kill a normal person. So when we're speaking of inoculation, I want you to go with me, and this is in your worship guide bulletin. Uh, This is our driving thought, that gospel inoculation is a state of knowing the gospel in its entirety, but refusing to obey it in its totality. And this, the knowing it, but not obeying it, leads to self-deception. Here's what we mean. You can go to church all over the U.S. and probably find people who would be able to tell you if you asked them, what is the gospel? And they would be able to tell you just what we mentioned a few moments ago. They could recite it to you. They could give you Bible verses. They can quote John 3.16. They can quote all sorts of Bible truth. But if they have not actually obeyed the call of Jesus to make disciples there is a high chance that they could be inoculated to the Gospel. Now I want all of us to just stop right now in this moment and reflect upon our lives. And some of you, you may be new to church. And some of you, uh, you may have been brought to church by your mother before you were even born. Alright? You may have a long church background. But how many disciples have you made? Or, we could ask the question this way. How many people have you shared your faith with so that the Holy Spirit, even in this moment right now, is using what God has done in your life to help lost people get saved, and then once they get saved, to become a full-fledged disciple of Jesus Christ? We could boil the New Testament down with, as Jesus said, that we are to love, we are to be known by our love for each other. But here's the question. If there's nobody there to love, how can you love them? Somebody somewhere, y'all go with me on this, somebody somewhere did the dirty work. They did, as you've seen that show on TV, TV they did the dirty jobs. They, 
they got involved with someone's life, someone who was lost and away from God, they befriended them, or they shared the gospel with them somewhere, somehow. Every single one of us here today is the result of God's grace in someone being faithful to share the gospel. Think about it. Even if you come from a Christian family generations back, all of you were raised under the preaching of the gospel. You were taught God's word at home. Somebody somewhere in the distant past talked to, if you are of European ancestry, your great, great, keep on going back, granddaddy and grandmama who were running around possibly somewhere on the British Isles in a loincloth painted blue, worshiping demons and told them about Jesus and they got saved. So for us to say in church that loving each other is what Jesus wants to do misses out on the elephant in the room that if nobody gets saved, there's nobody to love within the church. Can I get a witness? And we will, if the Lord tarries and we make it 15 to 20 years from now, there will be massive closings of churches all across the U.S., Because most churches are plateaued or declining, and that goes across the board. All of them. So the question is, when Jesus calls us in Matthew 28 to go teach all nations and to make disciples, if I claim, and God has done big time work on me this past week, if I claim to be following Jesus, how many disciples Have I made? Let's get into the text. Y'all ready for this? You say, well, Jeff, I didn't bring my headgear to church. It'll be all right. Let's just jump into it. James chapter 1 and verse 19. The Bible says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let me say that one more time. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Question, in your family relationships, are you quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? Or do some of us have that reversed? We got some head nodding going on in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Got some honesty. That's good. Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Making note here, the manner in which we receive the implanted word, we listen to the gospel, is going to make the difference. If I receive the word with pride, I will edit the word and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Y'all all right? Well, that's not my gift. That's for someone else. For me, I may not know enough. All these excuses. The Bible says we receive it with meekness, with humility, the implanted word. And what happens when it gets implanted? It is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But here's when we receive the word of God, but be, help me out, church, be what? Doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And here's the picture. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, underline this, highlight it, the law of liberty. Amen. Not legalism. The law of liberty and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all of his doing. 
Remember several years ago when I was living in South Carolina, I was recently out of graduate school, and I don't know about any of you, but I love motorcycles. I love them. My mom calls them murder cycles. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the danger and the adventure, and I also enjoy dirt bikes. So I found a Suzuki DR350 1997 model that needed some work. Got it for a great deal, put it in the garage with all of the best intentions of getting that bad boy fired up and getting out and riding wheelies and jumping hills and all sorts of things that are dangerous to your health. Which ladies, some of you say, I don't understand men. Here's a little insight. Men enjoy things that could possibly kill them. In a nutshell, that's basically men. All right. That will help you understanding your sons. Well, I gave him just some, some, some toys here and he turns everything into a gun. For a little boy, everything is a war. All right. And those of you who are moms, you understand that. So I had it in the garage, but then I got busy. I got busy. I was working a church job. I was working at the college on the side doing some tutoring over here. And I got so busy that for two years, the Suzuki DR350 sat in the garage. And my mom, periodically, so you going to do anything with that motorcycle? Casting out the hint. I would just say this morning that often our church experience can be like that. Go with me. We visit it on Sunday morning. We hear it. We hear the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but there is something about having your, as we call it in Baptist circles, having your toes stepped on that is a mild bit therapeutic. You've had a week and you have failed. You've lost your temper. You've not represented Jesus as you should. And you know it. And you show up in church and the preacher preaches the Word of God and the Holy Spirit says, stand right there. Bam! Right in the nose and you get convicted. Your toes get stepped on. You say, boy, I needed that. I needed to be convicted. But then we leave after feeling good. Watch about feeling bad. Y'all see the connection there? We can feel good kind of like if we did some study in the medieval times. Uh, many of the monks and the priests would, would take a whip, take their shirt off, and beat themselves. Self-punishment for their sins. There are some evangelicals, even Baptists today, who say, you know what? It is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that I am saved. It is not by doing good works that I can be saved. But boy, it sure feels good when the preacher makes me feel bad. And then there can be another set and you come to church every week and say, in my religious experience, my pastor would get up and maybe read a verse of the Bible and then he would tell me stories that made me feel good about myself and about everybody else in the world. And how dare that young preacher who has a beard sometimes in the year, how dare he say those things about me? I'm a good person. If that's you, you're religious, but you're probably lost and you need to get saved today. We love people at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Our leadership loves people, and that's why we tell the truth. You see, we don't want to water it down. But when we hear the truth, the question is, are we just a hearer or are we a doer? Now make a note here in James 1.22 when it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The word for deceiving, the only other place it's mentioned in the Bible is Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. And the Bible says, 
I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Now, I think it's interesting that the only other place that this is used in the Bible is of us being deceived by another false teacher, but yet here it's used of us being the false teacher to ourself. Do you realize that if we can get out and convince ourselves out of our own lives, we'll be doing fairly well? It is ourselves that when we hear God's word often, we want to bring up excuses. Let me give you a statement by C.S. Lewis. He says, this is so profound. He says, we don't want to be forgiven. We just want to feel forgiven. Let me repeat that. We don't want to be forgiven. We just want to feel forgiven. Do you remember the last pang of guilt that the Holy Spirit gave you in your conscience? And you needed to repent. But you say, boy, I just, I would give anything to have this feeling lifted from me. But absent from our minds of, am I really, am I really right with God? Let me give you a verse, if you're taking notes. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 18, the Bible says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Here are the symptoms of gospel inoculation. You say, Jeff, I don't know what I am today. I don't know where I am with God. I I am struggling. In fact, I may be like the book of James when it says there in the first part in verses 5-8 through that I am a doubter. I'm doubting and I'm like a sea, a wave on the sea that is tossed to and fro. The first symptom of gospel inoculation is, and this is partly the fault of preachers like myself, is we emphasize knowledge and activity-driven discipleship versus disciple-making discipleship to where we emphasize church busyness and we don't emphasize disciple-making. May God forgive us. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. If you're here today and you say, Jeff, man, I believe in God. Good job, you get to join the demon club. Just simply knowing truths about God is not enough. The question is, are we willing and ready to obey them? As God is continuing to work in my life, I've been asking the question, what does a mature Christian, what does a strong Christian actually look like? It's a good question. What does a strong Christian, you know when somebody says, oh, they're strong Good church members, powerful Christians, they know the Lord, they can do, and they list all these things that they know and can do. Go go back with me very quickly to James chapter 1 and verse 4. The Bible says, and let steadfastness, you can translate this perseverance, endurance, patience, have its full effect that it may be, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The biblical definition of being a mature follower of Jesus Christ is that you have produced another follower of Jesus Christ. You see, we can't say that we're mature in Christ if we never bear fruit. Y'all okay? And we went through radical last year. We just had some honest conversations and said, you know what, some of us, we've been involved in church for decades. Nobody was angry at, you know, a pastor necessarily, but... I don't want to be a pastor that just says, get busy with doing stuff at this building. 
I want to do everything we can. Sunday morning on Wednesday nights when we go out on outreach to help you become equipped to become a disciple maker. You say, Jeff, what is that? It is a disciple maker is to where God speaks through you and your witness so that somebody gets saved because of you. Now here's the thing. If you never open your mouth for Jesus, people can't get saved from what they don't hear. And we tried to destroy that myth that is found on some Christian coffee cups. St. Francis of Assisi, if he ever said it, that said, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. That's a terrible lie. Because at best, they're going to just think you are an awesome person. That's what they're going to think. If you never trace it to Jesus, they're just going to think, wow, you are so good. And if I could only be as good as you, I would be as happy as you. And they never understand that because we don't speak about it, that it's Christ in us. It's tense. And I think it's the fault of pastors like myself that we can have people that are involved in church for decades, but have never made one disciple. It's because simply knowledge-based stuff is emphasized and that's it. Know these facts about God. Know these outlines. Know these theological truths. And that's it. Well, question. If we truly know about God and how great He is and how sinful we are, don't you think that would manifest itself somehow? You see, I would beg to say this, that often in many of our churches, we, we may know some stuff, but do we really know it? If it doesn't transform into sharing it, do we really understand it? I mean, go with me on this thought. If hell is real, and we hear about this, we're being a hearer of the Word, but yet we don't, that never translates into action, how can we help as many people as possible not go there? I mean, God has done a number on me. Like, Jeff, you know these truths. You share the Gospel sometimes. But how many times Jeff Robinson, Pastor Jeff, Reverend Robinson, dur, 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 do you share the gospel? How many lost people do you call and do you text? Do you visit during the week? If it's just about knowledge, then we should change the sign from Rocky Mount Baptist Church to Rocky Mount Baptist Theological Club. I don't know if anybody's going to come back to church next week. <laughs> Remember when we were, uh, our family, we grew up from when I was 10 until 18 in southeast Louisiana. Um, the swamps, and we would... Once in a while, we'd be able to, to hook up with like a preacher's conference because when you're in a pastor's family, you combine, uh, you combine family vacations with pastor's conferences. All right. So, so we would go and we would, we, we got to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee and Pigeon Forge. Any of y'all fans of Gatlinburg area? And you know, when you go through Sevierville, you got to stop at the over 5,000 square foot, um, knife store, right? 
I mean, he, Brother Jack, you, you love that place too, man. I, I remember going in there as a kid and just seeing swords and knives. You know, you could get like a 19-foot sword, sword from Pakistan for like a buck fifty. It was just, it was awesome. You know, we would go up there and be able to, to hike and not be eaten alive by mosquitoes and, and maybe see a bear and not see alligators in swamps and algae. It was just so cool. And I remember we went to this one restaurant and we were sitting down. We were just pumped. We were going to go hike up there in, in the National Forest and, and our waiters, a young guy, probably about college age, and we were just like, it must be so cool to live in Pigeon Forge. Wrong thing to say. In a very waiter-esque, semi-polite manner, which, by the way, some of you have been waiters and waitresses. By the way, we should treat them well. Amen, church? Those folks work hard. And I know some of you, you're saved, and you're walking back having taken that order, saying Jesus would not spit in their food. Jesus would not spit in their food. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. But we should treat them good. They're hard-working folks. So he, he says... I've had about all I can handle. I'm ready to go on a vacation. And he's wanting to go on a vacation somewhere like Louisiana. And we're like, don't go there. It's the zit on the armpit of the U.S. Chemical plants everywhere and mosquitoes. I mean, you say, well, what kind of ducks do you eat when you go duck hunting? When the ones that have four heads, you shoot them, just leave those because it'll change your body composition. But I thought about this. I thought about it. Is it not what you... Obviously, we can't have a Q&A this one. It's a great discussion if we could. But is it possible to get so used to beauty that you no longer appreciate it for what it is? And in my life, Have I become so used to hearing the Word, to reading it, to pulling out my Greek Bible and parsing verbs, that it loses its effect and power for what it is? Is it possible that some of us have grown used to God's amazing grace? Gospel inoculation can come from when we're thinking that we're following God when we haven't obeyed His command to make disciples. The picture there in verses 23 through 25 is something that we've used before. We've even had a mirror up here to illustrate this point. You get up in the morning, this is a common illustration, and you look in the mirror and say, God have mercy upon me. And the mirror doesn't lie. It tells you what you need to do. Shave, fix your hair, whatever it may be. But you immediately walk away and you say, I saw myself, but I'm going to forget what actually was. Until your husband or wife catches you going out the door to work and says, what are you doing? The Bible says that if we simply come to hear the Word of God, but we never repent and obey in humble obedience, we're the same as a person getting up in the morning being absolutely a disheveled appearance and going out to meet people as if there's nothing wrong. What is Jesus' central command? It is to love one another, but you have to make disciples. Here's the question that God has put on my heart. How can I claim to be following Jesus in obedience if I am daily and weekly neglecting His command to make disciples? Francis Chan says it this way. He says, sometimes from our Bible studies, 
We read God's Word. We may even memorize God's Word. And it's like this. If you're a parent who comes to your child, you say, Honey, I need you to go clean your room. Go ahead and clean your room. They say, Okay, Dad, I'll memorize that. I'll study that. Say the parts of speech. I'll study the historical significance in which you gave that statement. I'll look at the literary device in which you packaged that nugget of truth in telling me to go clean my room. You as the parent come back a few hours later. The child has not cleaned their room. You say, son, daughter, why haven't you cleaned your room yet? Father, please bear with me. Son, daughter, I need you to go clean your room. Father, chapter 1, verse 4. I can even say it in Greek. When I heard that, I said, you know what? That's very convicting. That the Bible was not simply given so that we could cognitively bury truths within our psyche. It was given so that we could obey and to see lives change. Here's what David Platt says in his new book, Follow Me. He says, first, I am burdened by the reality that scores of people today, both here and around the world, culturally, culturally identify themselves as Christians who biblically are not followers of Christ. Second, I am burdened by how we have taken the costly command of Christ to go baptize and teach all nations and turned it into a comfortable call for all Christians to come, be baptized, and sit in one location. And some of us have heard that phrase that Jesus uses. It's almost that refrain, well done, good and faithful servant. Now we know that we get to heaven only through the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But how can we expect to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if we've not obeyed the basis of Jesus' main command? How many disciples have we made? You see, now hold on, Jeff. It almost sounds like we're the ones who are sealing the deal and manufacturing, like forcing people, twisting people's minds, influencing people, influencing people to become followers of Jesus Christ. We can't make someone a disciple, but here's one thing that we do know for sure. If we never share the gospel, we can never make a disciple. But when you are faithful to share the seed and God will plant and water that, eventually there will be growth from your life. You say, Jeff, how do we be, how are we cured from this gospel inoculation? Well, number one, we realize that the gospel is not about bondage, but it is about liberty. Notice once again there in verse 25, it is the law of liberty. It is freedom. Do you realize that it's not something that we have to do? Because when we bring up subjects like this in church, we say, oh man, I should have shared the gospel this week. I should have talked to that person. I should have invited them uh, to come to church. But I didn't, so I need... No, it's not that. It's that we get to. Don't you guys see with me that this is something God can use us for? We've got to stop being so afraid and stopping so short. He can use you to change someone's life. Amen? For some of us, that may come easier than others, but my Bible tells me that in Christ we are more than conquerors. It's a law of liberty. It frees us from selfishness. It frees us from being held back by our fears. I believe that Christians should be the most courageous people on the planet. Because we've got a loving church. This is a great faith family. We've got Jesus Christ who is with us through His Spirit. We know that even if they kill us, we meet our King. And in the battle, He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. The law of liberty. 
that Jesus is the one who did all the good so that we could do something for Him. So let us never back down. Let us not give that churchianity, oh, well, that's not for me. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. Verse 21 there says to lay aside all filthiness, all excuses, all of the old manner of life, and to revisit that dirt bike in the garage of your Christianity. That it come becomes far more than a Sunday morning activity. But it becomes a lifestyle. I received word <clears throat> a couple of days ago that one of the students that I had worked with in the church in South Carolina on Valentine's Day evening, he was in an argument with his girlfriend, pulled out a gun, and took his life. I was very close to this young man in, in a church of this size. There's always going to be people that Either you have had that happen to people dear to you. It has come to the point to where I am very, very busy. Some of you, sometimes you can't get a hold of me. I've had to turn my phone off sometimes just to have time to get with the Lord and to think. Because this phone, which I have here, never shuts up. Ever. I think it's demon-possessed. But as I am busy, and I will be in Lynchburg this next week in a Ph.D. seminar from the morning till the evening, as I'm busy with that, studying at night, as I'm busy connecting with some of you, my dear friends, throughout the week, as I'm trying to hang out with the crowd that I work out with and train with sometimes, that some of them do not know the Lord, as we're busy with planning things here at the church, the Lord had prompted me that I want you to try to find Anderson's number because he had changed. He was a very troubled young man even when I knew him. But we had a great rapport. He started coming to church. And then when I left to come here, he told his grandparents, I'm not going back to church. I talked to him. I said, it's not about a person. We're good friends. But you need to keep going back so that you learn more about the Lord. And the Lord had told me, you need to try to search down to find his number. And I didn't. I believe at the very end of the day, and I'm having to practice what I tell when I preach to people, that it is that person's choice. Sometimes people get very confused and they make bad decisions. At the end of the day, that was their choice. I don't think that other people are to blame. But I know for me that today, and since a couple days ago, I am re, I am repenting and I'm recommitting my life to seek and to save that which was lost even when I've moved different states. I want to revisit that dirt bike every day, every week, and not simply pass it by as something that I do. I wanted to share that and be honest with you so that you could pray for me and you could pray for the family. And I would just encourage you not to put false guilt if you've ever had um, something like that happen to you. But let's ask the Lord, help us to become disciple makers.